Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. A snowy Thursday, December 22nd in Iowa City. It is a little after 9, about 9, 10 a.m. Central Time. Joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Uh, who informed me, unfortunately, that his son is, uh, uh, his bus trip was delayed. So not only do you not get to see him as much, Scott, but he's not home to help you shovel. Yeah, he always loved it. He's a cold weather guy. That's why he lives in Minneapolis. So he loved using the snowblower. It didn't matter if it was like it is now or what. And unfortunately, now uh, I'm going to have to succumb to that. But nah, it's it's all right. It's just going to be a bummer to, you know, his his, uh, bus got pushed back a day and from the Twin Cities. And, and of course, going to Nashville is going to be an early trip, you know, for players. And there we go. Yes, we are uh, roughly, what, 10 days out from the uh, Music City Bowl against Kentucky, uh, New Year's Eve day uh, down in Nashville. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week when Scott's down in Nashville and I'm still back here probably shoveling snow or actually it's supposed to be nicer next week. So maybe mm-hmm. not as much shoveling, but um I'm staying back for this one, but we'll figure out next week and I'll give you guys an idea on social media when we'll be able to record next week's podcast. And we'll have to work around Scott's uh, schedule down there with interviews and uh, Iowa, Kentucky football availability, but we'll work it out and uh, I'll let you guys know on social media. And that's when we'll preview the game. Um, I think it's kind of still early to get to that. And we have plenty more on our plate today uh, to get to. So where, where, where do we want to start here? Uh, let's start with uh, the story of the week. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate that somebody who's not going to be here overshadowed the, I think, 30 guys were announced yesterday. There were 21 high school seniors, the two transfer portal additions from Michigan and then seven preferred walk-ons were announced yesterday. Uh, remedial math skills of Rob House says that's 30 uh, guys that joined the program. Uh, but the one that didn't join, Caden Proctor, uh, offensive tackle, Southeast Polk, 
one of the top players in the country, flipped his commitment to Alabama. Um, I'm not going to go over not attacking the kid on social media. You guys are going to do what you want to do. Um, and I'm blue in the face with that. It's kind of Scott, like talking about attendance at men's basketball games at Carver. Uh, I'm tired of telling people not to tweet at recruits. They're going to do it anyway. Um, this was a huge loss. I mean, I, I don't, there's no other way around it. I really like Iowa's offensive line class, but we've talked about it on this podcast, Scott, he was a plug and play. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the problem. And and I think, uh, you know, first of all, those types of players don't come very often in uh, Iowa. I mean, it's kind of remarkable they've had two five stars from the same high school in consecutive years. But but uh, Caden Brocker is somebody the, the staff has had a relationship with, with four, for four years. Uh, you know, he was all in on Iowa. He said it on Twitter, you know, six months ago. And, um, you know, the day before he you know, officially flipped to Bama. And, and that's, a, that's a tough thing to take because Iowa did curtail its its efforts in the transfer portal because it figured, well, um, you don't necessarily want to anger, you know, a, a five-star recruit or, or push him in another direction, especially when he's flirting with other people. Uh, so, you know, there was like a little bit of, well, let's just kind of wait and see and get him signed and then, you know, figure out offensive line from there. But now, you know, they're really behind because they, could, they couldn't get anybody else to flip because they didn't have enough time to get anybody on campus. And you're talking about a, a rare talent and a rare size and ability. And um, you could tell that it kind of cast a pall over everything at, uh, at Fortress Kinnick yesterday. I mean, it was just um, is, as excited as they are about this class and about the players in it. That's one where you could just tell that it's just still clouded everything about it. This uh, the, the decommit from, you know, the highest ranked player in state history. And why did it happen? Um, it depends on who you ask. Um, you're going to get varying opinions and varying lenses and different, you know, uh, viewpoints on it. Uh, you know, and that's, we always want somebody, Scott, to, we want answers, reasons, and somebody to blame, right? Mm -hmm. Those, those are what something like yeah. this happens. I, I think we could, you know, I think enough energy's probably been spent on that. I think for me and what I wrote about in my column is I look at it through a different lens. I've gotten to know Caden through the recruiting process, his folks. I wish him well. He's an Iowan to me. Um, I, I'm not an Iowa fan. I've said this before. I root for Iowa in the sense that I get to know the people and I like mm -hmm. to see them happy and I want, but I, I also feel like I need to have some objectivity. So mm -hmm. I'm not, don't consider myself an Iowa fan, uh, but I get to be a, I want to say friend, that's probably too strong of a word, but I get to know these people throughout the years, guys that, you know, I covered recruiting that are now like in their forties and mm -hmm. with families. And, and that's the kind of the relationships that I've uh, built th through the years. And that's kind of how I approach this, but I get the fan uh, um, disappointment and, you know, rage in some cases, but uh, for Iowa, it's got to move on. This is the new landscape of college athletics. You have various ways to build your roster and, you know, roster management. And now Iowa has to find a way, whether it's internally with the guys that they have on the offensive line and how they feel about them. They get a nice chunk of time here in December to evaluate what they have. And then 
there's still time. I mean, there's still what eight, nine months before the first game. There's still time mm-hmm. to, to figure this out. There's plenty of time and there's going to be opportunity to fill uh, offensive line and they will. Um, they do have some visits planned. Not, I don't have the names yet, but uh, in January, uh, some graduate transfer, you know, transfer portal guys. So they they feel like they can adequately replace him on the field. And and frankly, if you're talking about a proven player or somebody who's actually competed at the college level, it, you know, it's probably a step up in the short term. Long term, no way. I mean, you know, you've got a guy. You, you think about Tristan Wirfs, and this guy's bigger. Um, you know, he's built a little bit more like Alaric Jackson, but with Tristan Tristan Wirfs' athletic ability, that's. That's hard to find, um, but you know I, I think they are moving on, and I think Kirk Ferentz, to his credit, and he's always been fairly magnanimous about this kind of stuff. As he 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 took the high road, and uh, you know whether or not he's disappointed, it's obvious he is. I mean, and I think everybody's disappointed, but um, you know it, the only thing you can do at this point is just move on and because it's not healthy to live in the what ifs and I was let me ask you this because I know you've probably thought about this I don't mean to interrupt but the the, my mind doesn't retain the thoughts and and they go and then I'll forget but um was there a lesson learned here for Iowa is there something they could have done differently um again I don't want to dig too deep into the weeds with NIL. Obviously that was a factor here. How big depends on who you ask. I don't know. I, I really don't. So um, could they done, could they have done more? You know, we, we talked about this back. Well, shit, a year ago, Scott, about is Iowa getting a collective together? Is that collective going to be strong enough? That's I wrote about that in my column too. We don't really know how Iowa's collective compares to the competition. Those are kind of the layers that I'm interested in. How do you prevent this from happening happening again? Now, you said it earlier, five stars don't come through here in the state very often, so that's probably unique to the situation. But is Iowa learning this the, the landscape? What did it learn from this? Oh, it's a great question, and it's probably one that they can't totally answer correctly at this point, but I think they probably can in a month or two months when they do really have a chance to reflect because, you know, talking to some people close to it just kind of off record, they haven't had a chance to process it yet. It's really disappointing to them, and but yet they're they're like, okay, we, you know, we got to move on. So we will. And, you know, it's probably helpful for them that they're now going to focus on an opponent to play for the next, you know, until nine days, which just seems crazy that we're holding the nine days. But, you know, at this point, I think there's some of it. One is, yes, if Iowa wants to get these types of players, you've got to have the financial backing to do it. I think they've got some, and I think there's some that come through, but it's not enough if you want to get a five-star. And even in your own state, uh, I think in this case, though, it's not unlike what we've seen in basketball with Roy Williams coming to Iowa. And this is pre-NIL, you know, at least above the table, um, you know, that where, you know, he was able to get now Marcus Page was a different place, you know, because Iowa was in a different place then. But it was probably more on the, the Ray LaFrance, Nick Collison area where, Probably this is probably, feels a lot like LaFrance in some ways, except for LaFrance was never committed to Iowa. It seemed like Collison and Page were like Iowa basketball was in transition at that point, yeah. like coaching change transition. But I agree with you. I think it's more like LaFrance. Yeah. And, but it would have been like if LaFrance was committed all along and yeah. then the last, 
the day before, poof, he's gone. And, um, you know, that's, that's the difference here. Had Iowa not been even in the race, then I think you could really call into question some of the things. And it's not like, you know, and, and why I use Roy Williams in this is it's not like they're losing him to um, Nebraska or they're losing him to Illinois with Bielema or Wisconsin or, you know, Iowa State even. I mean, it's really you're losing him to the best program of all time, you know, the best coach of all time and not my opinion. And so that makes it a unique situation. Now, financially, yes, they're going to profit from this. Um, but I think he's going to have a lot to learn. I think others are going to have a lot to learn from this because I do want to see how he fits in there because this was a quick decision. He, you know, as of late last week, Friday, in fact, before he went, he was still all in, told him there. He was still all in in Iowa. Now, maybe he just Kirk, said that to play Kirk him. met with him Friday, right? They had him yeah. home on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So. To say that, you know, and it's it's easy to see. We've seen it with recruits who come to Iowa, frankly, that are, you're wowed by the situation. And it's like, oh, man, this was so awesome. And you're on a high. It's And then all of a sudden, you change your mind really quick because you see the bling. You see, wow, you know, all that stuff. And then, you know, what's going to happen on Christmas morning? What's going to happen when he travels there and then lives there and then has to deal with it and you don't have a support system around you? I wonder what it's going to feel like for him then. Um, you know, that's what's, you know, and, and it's a business atmosphere there. That's a place where six different guys with four-star rankings the last three years or since May have decommitted along the offensive line. So um, they or I mean, I'm sorry, hit the transfer portal. So he's got a lot there too. I think with Iowa, the one thing you got to, you know, you remember is no visit policy and how that backfired. Well, this one, they made a special circumstance because I don't think they allow any other recruit on under their watch to go to Oregon in mid, in mid uh, November. I don't think they allow a they commit. Did, they did let Justin Jacobs go to Ohio state, but those are rare. Right. And, and that's because he lived there and they knew that they were going to lose him if he didn't if he didn't go. But, you know, just like in this case, it's like, you know, any recruit that they have on their roster you know, that they signed, I don't think they allow that to happen. You know, so, you know, it's rare because he's a five star because he's an elite talent that they kind of bent the rules. He was going to probably milk most of the NIL that they had um, for players. So I think there's probably the lesson is that. Um, don't bend your rules as much as you did in this case to placate one person. And maybe that's the wrong message to get. But I think in Iowa's case, for this staff and the way they put it together, it's probably the right message that, um, okay, you go to Oregon, that's fine. But um, we really want you to, if you're going to remain committed, we really want you to shut it down, not go there and not put your foot down, but put your foot down. And, and then if you're talking NIL, you have a finite budget. They have a finite budget. And until that gets jacked up, until somebody comes along and infuses them with cash, you know, they, they got to use some of that money for wide receivers for for uh, offensive linemen. Now they're going to have to use it for the people they've got because you don't want to get them plucked. So um, I think there is. And, and again, they weren't as aggressive going after offensive linemen in the portal as maybe they would have been had they known even a week earlier that he was decommitting. I still think they should have gone for offensive linemen in the portal, even with him involved, mm -hmm. but that's another story for another day. So yeah. are you, are you, 
Are you thinking, Scott, that Iowa would have been better off pulling their offer when he went to Oregon or threatening to pull their offer? With, uh, I guess, uh, to me, it's just so hard in these situations because unlike before, like before NIL and all these other things, the schools had more leverage. Yeah, and Players really have all the leverage now. So you, do you say, okay, you're going to visit Oregon and Alabama, we're out, or do you ride it till the end like they did? I think that's a great question. It's just because, so hard. I, I know. And I, it's, it's, I, I, there's probably not a right answer and it's going to be different with each kid. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, how, how firm are they? Um, are you talking about a, a guy, you know, a guy that maybe, Hey, he's, he's going to be a developmental prospect and wants to do this. And it's like, well, you know, go, but we're not going to, we're going to start looking. Well, Caden Proctor doesn't fit that profile because Caden Proctor, he ain't, Eno, he ain't Eno Benjamin. No, no. <laughs> now they could have used Eno. Yes, for a, sure. And they did get another, uh, <laughs> another running back from Wiley, Texas uh, just now. But, yep. uh, but uh, I'll say this, that yeah, you don't find, you know, I mean, Tristan is, you know, AJ, there, yeah. there are just certain guys. Yeah. And, you know, you would hope that he'd be a little more all in that, you you know, that once he committed that he's, you know, they, they got him a car, you know, and this is Iowa. It's, it's still not, you know, the, the high rollers, you know, they got rolled by the tide, um, you know, but I think right now what you do is if, if I'm Iowa, I say, look, you know, back when the, the trip to Oregon is, I understand you, you want to explore a little bit. I understand that, but we really need you to, from now on, if there is one hardcore lesson is don't allow a committed recruit to take a visit the weekend, the last weekend before the dead period, before signing day, because that, two, you know, two day trip changed his whole world, but it didn't give him time to, to reflect three or four or five days later. It didn't give Iowa enough time to get in the last message because he's a committed prospect. Um, and they deserve that. If he's committed, they deserve that. So I think in this case, what it really needed to happen was um, instead of being able to visit through the what 19th, that you, everything needs to be ended by the 12th. And, and if you're not, if you're going to take that last trip, then we're going to consider you decommitted and we're going to go somewhere else. Cause then you have to protect yourself. You know, it may, it may look harsh and fans may be pissed off, but who fucking cares? You know, you got to protect your program because now you're, now they are so stuck because they have, no five-star they couldn't get another backup option on campus and really they you know whatever their portal strategy um you know now they're going to be you know i still think they're going to get a couple of offensive linemen and probably be okay but but it cost them early you know so all of that um i think you do need to draw a line somewhere you have to be the bigger entity and, and the university of iowa is a bigger entity than any player how about this approach? Just again, and this is hindsight, so I'm not yeah. ripping Iowa or the staff or anything like that. How about when he takes that visit to Oregon, you're like, hey, if you're looking, we're going to start looking. And then you get in the portal and say, but you can sell it to him. You don't have to sell it to him kind of like a in a combative way, but say, you know, we have to kind of protect ourselves here if you look for something else. And then also we could use some more help on the offensive line with you. So mm -hmm. we're going to go in it because to me, it just seemed like to not even try in there, even though once he started to look around, I think at yeah. that point, maybe that's the lesson. Yeah. You don't 
stop recruiting until the guys on the you know signs on the line and you go after Lyman? I don't know. Maybe I'm off on that. Yeah, and maybe I'm being a little bit, uh, you know, I, I know that they were looking and I know they were evaluating and I know they were contacting, you know, but maybe they're more aggressive yeah, that, in their yeah, approach. Exactly. You know, because, I mean, they weren't just totally saying, well, we're not going to yeah. approach it because of him because, you know, he's still, <laughs> you know, no matter how good he is, he's still a freshman, you know. And uh, but now you've got, uh, you know, I think I'm not saying that they were naive. Nobody is. But I think the fact that he was local you know, and seemingly committed and so high profile that they wanted to placate him. And probably they do that a little less in the future. And, you know, or if it comes down to, you know, going all the way back to June 30th, when he made that call 20 minutes after USC and UCLA made their call. <laughs> uh, but you I know, was on my June, way to Utah. Yeah, I was. Or, uh, or Colorado at the time. I was, I was sitting right here on vacation and my vacation days got ripped out there. Uh, <laughs> and, and vacation. Yeah. Vacation. Um, no, they, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, that maybe at that point is when, you know, especially with a, a five star like that, it's like, are you, are you prepared not to take any trips? Cause this is really what we're all about. And they've always been really good at the forefront with that, take your time, you know, not really pressing kids, not the way some of their rivals do. And, uh, but you know, the, the, maybe it's, again, it's not naive, but maybe it's a little bit of either in love with being in love or wishful thinking that kind of got him in trouble with this. And, um, you know, and it's, it's a heartbreak. It's, it's not just a loss. It's more, it's, it's not, um, the running back going to Michigan on, on signing day. This is, oh my God, you know, <laughs> just what a legend. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, again, you guys are free to speculate on the reasons why it, it happened. Um, I think you can look at, you know, the NIL, um, the influence of a, a program as, as elite as Alabama, like Scott said, it's not, you didn't lose them the no offense, Illinois or Northwestern or yeah. Wisconsin or Nebraska or Minnesota or any of those other in your footprint. This is a different entity. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how much this played into it, but um, Iowa wasn't good on offense this year. I don't know yeah. if you noticed yeah. and how much did that play into it? I don't know. If Iowa goes 10 and two again and wins the West, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know what if that would have been a difference. I think it's just all of those factors together. And what can you do? It's it's done, it's a done deal, and you move on. And I'm sure the Iowa staff will, will evaluate this, knowing Kirk Ferentz, he's going to evaluate what 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 happened here and try to come up with a plan to prevent it from happening again. I think one of the main uh for me. And again, I don't know how the Swarm Collective compares to other collectives around the country. You're going to have, you know, SEC collectives mm -hmm. are going to be different than like Matt collective collectives, obviously. But I think it's I think it's fair to say that Iowa can do more here, and maybe it takes somebody as powerful as Kirk Ferentz, with the help of Gary Barta, to maybe doing a better job of start funneling some of those funds towards the Swarm that are going to the athletic department. 
Yeah, no question. This is a they have to undergo an evaluation of the of the swarm, and um, you know, and Brad Heinrichs has done an amazing job to basically do this to lift it all by himself, and he doesn't even live here, you know, and and they had other former players involved and they decided not to get involved. They have a board of directors and they're, they're trying their best, but man, it's tough to get in this. And, you know, I, I know we have some grievances coming up and this might be one, one of mine is that there are some people who think that because they subscribe to the swarm and all of a sudden that this is just magically going to happen that, Oh, you know, I put my $99 out there and I'm, I'm a member of the collective and there, we can't be losing these guys. I'm going to cancel. That's stupid. I mean, you know, the, it's one thing to lose somebody to Alabama, just like think of it in reverse that what if there was a, an elite, um, 100, 165 pound wrestler <laughs> in North Carolina, who's committed in North Carolina or North Carolina state for that matter forever and then the day before flips to iowa um you, you got to go well i guess you know iowa's the number one program in the country and it's kind of the same way with alabama um but what you're most worried about and should be most worried about is the kid from des moines because iowa got smoked in state the kid from des moines going to iowa state because they have more money or going to nebraska because they do definitely have more money and then all of a sudden matt rule is building nebraska into a legitimate program which it should have been for a while and the, those kids are you know one kid goes to Iowa and that's the difference on third and four and on Black Friday you know those are the things you need to worry about and that's why you need to subscribe if you're uh, a fan and stay subscribed not just because you lost a five-star to Alabama um, but the blowtorch of Fran of of Kirk Barta they need to they need to put this through because Player acquisition now is a part of the ball game. And if you lose at this, everything falls down. It's not just you can't you can have the best facilities in the world, but if you lose to your rivals on a repeated basis because they have better players and they have a better collective, then the stadium's not going to be full. You know, your basketball arena is not going to be full. There's not going to be enough money for renovations because people will frit you off. And you get apathetic. That is the worst possible thing. You would rather have them angry than apathetic. So I think that's really where Iowa needs to be. Be aggressive. Push it. Um, do as much as you can. Because this is the one area where your money does impact it. You don't, when you throw, when you sign up for the iClub, it goes to just this big general fund that goes to all these different things. But if you sign up, and I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm promoting the swarm, but but your money, even, you know, say $5,000 could be the difference between getting that three-star in Chicago to pick Iowa over Wisconsin. And then in two to three years down the road, he's the one breaking up the pass in the end zone, forcing them to kick a field goal versus your other guy who let it go and you lose by four. Collective collectively coming together mm. to uh, in this new world of college football. And this is just a different model, Scott, than, than Kirk Ferentz is used to. So yeah. again, we've talked about it. Just it, it's fast. It's going to be fascinating to see an old, older coach, old school coach navigate these waters now. And, you know, he, he hasn't had a lot of time to, to really analyze it because of in season this off season, he's really got to figure out because everybody else, you talked about Matt rule, mm -hmm. um, Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, 
the model that Kirk is so used to, Scott, of basically um, relying heavily on prep prospects and developing them, that still is a component of this, but it's a lot different now. There are other ways while you're doing that, and that was good enough against other programs that couldn't do it as well as you, that couldn't identify and evaluate talent and then develop it. Now those programs have other avenues to improve their rosters. And you have to do the same thing to keep up with the Joneses. And really important offseason in my mind to evaluate how Iowa does that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to, your first step is you're going to have to secure some of these players. And Tyler Barnes said they're looking at three to five players. They're looking at another offensive lineman, a cornerback, and a couple of receivers, you know. And I think that's, that's really where it begins. Um, and if they can secure that in a transfer portal, um, players who can play right away, and you know, and that, and that can be say they get two receivers and one of them is a definite starter and one of them is a rotational guy. That's fine because maybe it means Deontay Vines has emerged or Brody Breck has emerged. That's good. That's exactly what you want. But you, um, you know, I think you do need a plug and play guy probably at right tackle um, right now or, or left tackle and have Mason Richmond move to the other side or something like that. That just seems to me to be the what absolutely has to happen. And then cornerback I, I wonder you know I mean J- Jamari Harris and um you know is he you know 100 percent uh you know do they you know what do they believe about him <laughs> excuse me Cooper did he you know do they <laughs> gosh darn it sorry uh, yeah um you know, do they think he's going to be? He was. Do they want him to play corner? I'm sure they'd rather have him play a different position because I think he'd be more impactful. But, um, but overall, uh, you know, they're they're going to shoot for that this off season. But, you know, you just take a look at the last game. Um, Iowa was depleted injuries. You know, no Sam Laporta, no Spencer Petrus, and you know, no Cooper DeGene. And you look at the other team that wasn't really playing for anything, didn't have its coach. Um, and yet you have Casey Thompson, you know, a, a transfer from uh, Texas. And then you have Trey Palmer, a transfer from LSU. And if they're not on the field for Nebraska, Iowa still wins that game. Um, but they're on the field because Nebraska got aggressive and went after these guys. And I think that's what Iowa needs to do. Is And they have now with Eric Hall and with uh, Kate McNamara. Um, now you just need to have somebody who can help protect and you got to have somebody who can catch the ball. And if they can, I think this defense next year, you know, other than a major hole at middle linebacker um, and probably at corner and, 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 you know, in a little bit up front, I think that this defense could be every bit as good as it is this year. And then you then you have an opportunity in a, in a, to, to go back to Indianapolis. Another layer to it, Scott, is the retention. And what do you allocate out of NIL to keep guys? in your program when other schools are trying to poach and it's going on. We know it's going on. So, you know, it's almost like you need a general manager. It's Mm. almost like you need somebody to oversee all this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, they have a director of ops and and either you put it under him, but you've got to, you've got to make sure that if there's one benefit to all this, is that it requires more open communication with your players than ever before. Yeah, I you agree. know, 
disgruntled players, players who maybe they're not disgruntled, but maybe they're just like, maybe they feel a little less valued in the past guys that just have communication with their, their position coach and a little bit with the coordinator and occasionally with the head coach. Um, you, you gotta, gotta be in with them and talk to them and see how they're feeling, see how they're doing. Because as we know, young people, their minds aren't fully formed and they can change their minds. They can change their uh, expressions and, and emotions much more quicker than us old dudes. So, I mean, you know, if somebody's going, man, I, I should be starting. I'm not, I feel like I'm not valued here. You know, in the past, maybe that those people they didn't communicate with and then they would transfer or be, grudge the program and then it turns into a, a bad situation now you've got to kind of head that off and re-recruit them and I would say you know, most players you wouldn't have much of an issue with now you know the ones that left this year um, you know the receivers Keegan Johnson and, and Arlen Bruce that seemed to be you know there was an issue obviously with the offense I mean you just can't get around that um, and I did ask Kirk about you know the receivers leaving and he didn't really answer it the way he probably should have because, I mean, I was I asked about four receivers over the last calendar year that have left, you know, that were key players at that position, and he really didn't go into it. Um, and he was talking about, well, some guys are, you know, miss home. And I think he was talking about Quavon Matthews, and I'm like, that's not the one. <laughs> I'm talking about Charlie Jones. I'm talking about Tyrone Tracy. I'm talking about uh, Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson that, you know, you've got some – you got some issues there. So they've got to placate that and that's performance-based too. So, uh, but, you know, I mean, let's look at a Luke Lachey, for instance. Um, you don't think Ohio State after Cade Stover goes to the draft isn't going to go, hmm, this kid's a local kid, his dad's here. You know, you, you might want to have that conversation up front and you might want to just get him money up front. <laughs> you know, yeah. say, hey, you know, just to make sure he's all good. Because chances are he probably is. But, the, you know, those conversations happen. It's not like he can't go home after the bowl game and Jim Lachey's sitting there and then in comes Ryan Day for a drink, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm not trying to freak anybody out. I'm just trying to say. No, that's those, those are, are, you know, those are hypotheticals that aren't outlandish. And, yeah. um, you know, we talked about it, I think, one of the most recent podcasts, you have guys on your roster that have, you know, bled and sweat for the program and helped you win games. And you're going to bring guys in from the outside, a, a program like Michigan, guys you need, but mm-hmm. you still have to take care of those guys that have been there for you. And uh, that's the roster management and financial management that they're going to have to deal with. And that's, again, that feeds into, you know, I, I think I was behind in this. I, I don't think it's been proactive. I think it's more been reactive to this, but it needs to be more proactive. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, but to Kirk's credit, that's something that he's talked about with NIL forever, that he would rather spend the money on the players who are already here and already have produced rather than on unproven commodities, you know, your incoming freshmen or, you know, or even guys like, you know, I mean, McNamara and all, you know, that, you know, they are proven. They're just not proven here. And and so it but it all comes back to how much money do you get in the in the, in the collective? How much can they give? Um, you know, the one thing with Iowa and, and you look at this recruiting class, I would say 
Um, most of them, uh, the freshmen coming in, NIL is probably very little or has no thought in their decision necessarily uh, because it's, hey, by the way, we do have this collective. And if you join uh, join it and, and appear and make these charity appearances, then you'll get X amount a month. I, I'm sure most of them will be happy with that. There might be a few that expect a little bit more and that's fine. Uh, but, you know, they're, it's, it's a tricky spot. And Iowa is in a really tricky spot in particular because it is a developmental program. And the last thing you want, I mean, what would be worse than losing Caden Proctor is losing a Jack Campbell type to Alabama, <laughs> you know, somebody who's been in your program, somebody who's sweating bled and feels like he's not valued. So this is a, this is a complicated issue and it's not going away. It's not going away for anybody. So it's not unique to Iowa. Yes. And we've been talking about it now for as long as we've been doing this podcast, which is over two years now. And uh, I think, yeah, at least over mm -hmm. two years. Um, yeah which is crazy, but um, <laughs> it, it's something that is ongoing. I mean, it's, it's, it's evolving as we speak and everybody's learning this. And then who knows if, you know, they're able to, they being the NCAA are able to, you know, re rein this in a little bit, how much, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes from here, because I know there are a lot of people that don't like how things are going now. And if you have enough people that don't like how things are going now, um, maybe something will be done about it. Obviously you have the legal angles of this. There's only so much you can do, uh, now that they lost, uh, nine zero in the, to the Supreme in the Supreme court decision. So we'll see where it goes from here. Um, had somebody in the chat room, um, Kyle Bolin, Scott, and I, this isn't personal if I don't get to your questions in here, guys, and we appreciate everybody in here. Um, I can't answer your questions in the chat room. We'll answer them on the podcast. Um, Kyle Bolin, how soon post-bowl will game will Kirk elaborate on st staff and scheme changes, or will it be post-second signing day announcement? Thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I think it, it depends on – I would – this is he's done it multiple ways in the past. So um, if we remember, it was within a few days of the Outback Bowl when they got blown out by Florida that he announced Greg Davis was retiring, that uh, Chris White was moving on and uh, Bobby Kennedy was moving on. And then very quickly afterwards was when they announced Brian as the OC. And then it was about another month, month and a half something like that when um, at that point it was Kelton Copeland and Tim Polisek who were announced as, as the replacements. I, so I, I don't know if it, it's, you know, January 2nd, he's having a press conference. I doubt it. I would, my anticipation is if there are coaches leaving the program on their own, that the announcement will be fairly soon after the bowl game, probably within a week. Um, and then if there's a restructuring after that, then it could be, um, you know, it could take a few more weeks after that. Because I think if we remember right, even last year, Ken announced he was retiring um, in early, like right after the second signing day. And then Brian was announced like in late February as the new quarterbacks coach with Abdul Hodge taking over tight end. So I think there's uh, it, it can happen multiple ways. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? 
Yeah, I think before spring football, I think that's the window from after the ball get, ball game to you know up to you. You like to have your staff in place when you get them back. When you get you know when you're able to coach them again on the field, yeah. um, you can kind of navigate through the strength and conditioning of January and yeah. February without um, you know missing too many beats by not having a person in there. And like most. Uh, good college coaches Kirk has a list of guys he knows kind of if if x happens this is how I react to that he he hasn't you know an idea of guys that he likes he'll interview people and maybe he'll find people he's not you know aware of now or at least doesn't know as well now that he can get to know uh during the interview process I really don't know Scott I don't have a handle on how much change there's going to be um in this staff I I don't know if they know yet yeah I don't either and that's the that's the problem I I don't you know so much energy has been given given to recruiting right now yeah yeah and I mean when you've seen everybody there you know going from um you know uh, on those pictures you know with with recruits and you know Kelton Copeland going to see Seth Anderson and and um you know, seeing Brian out there with, with Marco Lainez and, and stuff like that. So, you know, what happens? I, I don't know. Um, and it's difficult to predict because I think there's been a lot of years where we've thought, okay, Brian's not going to stick around. He's going to go to the NFL. What happens if he doesn't? You know, what happens if he stays in place? And, I mean, first of all, it's going to be really difficult for us to try to objectively report that. Uh, you know, because we know the fan ire is astronomical anyway. And so to say, yeah, he's going to run it back with Brian. He doesn't see things. Brian can fix it. Then that's going to be a long off season for us. <laughs> I mean, I'll be selfish. Fuck it. I'm selfish. <laughs> it's long off season because we're going to have to try to explain this and not say, and I, but I don't also want to say it's, it's, you know, how, how do you report it? Because there's nothing I can do about it. I can't just like make magic words and they're going to change their mind. I can't ask toughest questions of all time and make them go, yes, you're right. You know, it's, it's Kirk's purview and he's been, you know, empowered by the athletic department, the board of regents, the university president and all the boosters to do what he wants to do. So now I can see a tweak Maybe and maybe the tweak is, you know, if, if Kirk wants to keep him in that chair, I can see the tweak being, all right, well, we're going to somebody on the say the defensive staff decides to leave. Uh, and I'm only speculating. Let's say it's lowest guy on the totem pole. Janie decides to go and be the Northwestern defensive coordinator or something like that. Then, well, Abdul, you're going to go back over to the defensive side and then uh, Brian, you're going to go back to tight ends and fullbacks, and John Budmeyer, you're going to be the offense. You're going to be the passing game coordinator and quarterback coach. It, you know, is that something that could happen, Rob? I mean, am I far off? I mean, I'm completely speculating. I do not have any inside information on that. No, <clears throat> excuse me. I think, and I, it's not an elephant in the room because I don't feel uncomfortable talking about it. It's a father and his son. That's the that's the dynamic here. So what does Brian want to do, first of all? 
Mm-hmm. Does he want to say, listen, I I've had enough of this shit. I can't deal anymore. I'm, I'm a, you know, getting hammered by this fan base. Um, I don't know if I can win them over again, whatever the case may be. I can't deal with this whole off season of, of, of this again. Does he find a landing spot in the NFL? Can he find a landing spot in the NFL? Can Kirk help him do that? If that's not the case, because I think the bottom line here, and I think you'd agree with this, Scott, he's not firing Brian. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he will. Not outright say, hey, I'm firing my son. He can do what you're saying and kind of massage it and let's move the chairs around a little bit here. And I'm not going to say the Titanic. I know some of you guys are thinking of that. Mm-hmm. I was offense as the Titanic. <laughs> but how do we make this work? And how do we sell this? Because that's important. How do we sell this to people that this can work? Because you're coming off an off season last year where you sold, I don't like to say bill of goods, but you sold a philosophy that we're going to get, you know, the quarterback coach is retiring. We're going to let the offensive coordinator coach quarterbacks, streamline everything, simplify everything, make it work. It didn't work. So now what do you do to come back words wise at least during the offseason, to placate people, to say, to give them hope, to give them optimism that things are going to change. Ultimately, it only matters what you do next August, September, and beyond for the 2023 season. But, you know, uh, PR matters and Mm -hmm. public opinion matters these days. And how does Iowa manage that going into the offseason here? They have a PR firm that can help them with this, but are people buying it? No, they will not buy it. If they if they try to run it back, they will not buy it. Season ticket sales will plummet. Um, they'll buy tickets, and a lot of people will, but the anger is culpable. And this is where Gary Barta needs to step in at some point and be the boss of football and say, you cannot do this. Now, he's never I'm done laughing. that. I'm laughing at Gary Barta being the boss. Yeah, right. Um, it's just not not going to happen. And he's not going to tell Kirk what to do. And Kirk doesn't care what public opinion is. And it served him well, for the most part, because he, you know, his stubborn personality and, you know, when it comes to football and his, um, you know, his loyalty have are off the charts. And for the most part, they have really helped Iowa football succeed um, amid a lot of changes that they're competitors can't haven't been able to sustain however fans have had it with brian ferentz being the offense coordinator whether brian's great and the personnel sucks and his dad's holding him back it doesn't matter you have to make some sort of change now is there any kind of change where brian still stays on the staff and play and it placates the fan base yes be offensive line coach be run game coordinator but i don't know that that's going to be the case Can and brian, will brian do that can his ego? Know. Will his ego allow him to take a demotion? That's that's a big question, and <clears throat> he is always the coach's son, and other assistants view him as that. So that is really going to be awfully difficult for you know to keep him in that job. Now, I I like Brian. I know Brian. I also know he's um, you know he's got a high ego, and it's understandable. You know he he knows the game at a level that I'll never know. I do agree with that, and. A lot of the issues, I believe, are not his, you know, that I think this year there were so many factors, you know, that it's it's just not on one person. But 
you know, I'm not the one buying tickets. I'm not the one saying I'm, I'm going to invest my time, my money, my Saturdays, my heart into this program. But they're just going to look at it and say, yeah, we're just going to do it the way we want to do it. You know, that and that's where Gary Barta has to look at it as a business decision, because, I mean, ticket sales were down 17 percent after 2014. They could be down 33 percent this year. And then you're really starting to cut into it. And then if they have a year like this year and, you know, so what in some ways maybe they're trying to do, and, and this is, I guess, smart is, okay, we're going to still run it back with the same people, but we're going to change the personnel running it. And that's Kate McNamara, Eric All, get a couple of receivers, do everything we can to help Brian succeed. And that's that's a tough message for everybody to, around them to see it because when you've got an elite level defense, elite level special teams, you kind of want to say we want an offense that's in the same ballpark and it hasn't shown that it can be. And, and that could be Kirk takes a complete backseat. I'm off. You know, you do what you got to do. Or Brian does something different. I, either way, I think somebody else has to have a voice here. And if that's John Budmeyer running the offense, well, that's a different voice um, or having a significant portion of that voice. I think that's what they really need to do um, because unless there was a complete another change and Brian decides to go to the NFL or another college program, there's going to be 40% of the fan base is going to revolt, Rob. I mean, they're just going to absolutely say, forget it. you know, And they'll be angry. And every damn story I write about the offense, they're going to say, F you, who cares? As long as they have Brian Ferentz, it still sucks. And there's and it's going to be a long freaking off season for me. And maybe I'll just say, hey, can I cover some other teams too? Along with Iowa, can I go to Minnesota? Can I go to Iowa State? Because I'm I'm tired of the all the negative feedback when because unless I write the words Brian Ferentz sucks and you shouldn't read this story, I'm going to get negative tweets. And after a while, they kind of pile up. Man, I, you know, as much as they were for Caden Proctor and you know, shit, we got it all season long, and it wasn't our fault. It's emotionally draining. There's no doubt about it. That's part of the gig now, and uh, not something – if I was 30, I don't know if I would stick around, but I'm closer to the end because I'm old, an old dude. So <laughs> I'm going to hang in there until they kick me out of the room. But, um, yeah, I think there are two scenarios here, Scott. There's the with Brian Ferentz and without Brian Ferentz. I think the with Brian Ferentz, even if you change his role a little bit, other than going the offensive line, if he's still the offensive coordinator, even if you give, you know, some of his responsibilities to Bud Meyer, and then you're like, all right, this this is the this is what we're selling you guys. Um, Brian's still offensive coordinator. Bud Meyer is going to help him more. We've got Cade McNamara and Eric All. We've added this offensive lineman to that offensive lineman and this receivers. That's what you got. This is what we're selling you folks. That's not going to sell. No, it's not. Because it's like somebody's head needs to be on a pike. Pike. That's what people are thinking right now. And, and when you look statistically and you look at the laughing stock that Iowa was all year, you know, locally and certainly nationally, it's like you got to run through this again. I mean, people want to be proud of their favorite team. You know, and even if they're not very good or if, if they struggle in certain areas, you know, show some you know, passion towards making some changes here. You know, the things aren't going to always work. And um, 
you know, and knowing where I work and talking to the people I talk to, it's just, it's exhausting, Rob. It's exhausting because it's a 24 hour a day thing. It's uh, whether I'm dealing with the national people at, at, at the athletic or I'm dealing with local fans, you know, sending tweets, um, DMs, texts, friends of mine who you know, texts and stuff. It's like, Jesus Christ, can I just freaking get, you know, a day off of this shit? You know, I, I get mean, it. I get it from the meat guy at Hy-Vee. Yeah, yeah. I get it when I go and shoot high school basketball games. It just, and I know that's what Scott's talking about. And that's part of it. I know that's part of the yeah. game, but it doesn't stop. And mm-hmm. there's just really the narrative and opinion has formed now of Brian Ferentz. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that changes. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting texts from my dad, from, from my <laughs> mother-in-law during a game. Why don't they change quarterbacks? Why don't, you know, just, and, and she doesn't care except, you know, she doesn't know anything about sport, just, but, but that's the way it's going. And it's like, you know, so the thought of another off season of this, and and I know I'm I'm doing an awful lot of whining, and I don't like to do that. Damn! Hey, it. it's Festivus Eve. We can whine. Yes, and you all are going to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, let's, our grie- uh, we can get our grievances out right now. I Bob. think we've gotten some out already. Yeah, we'll get some more out here. I too. get some more. Yeah. <laughs> let me uh, let me pull up a script here. Um, we're going to go to break here in a second, but, uh, want to let folks know that support for this podcast comes from systems unlimited celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East central Iowa, a list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That's sui.org. Thank you to systems unlimited and all of our sponsors. We're going to hear from a few of them right now, and then Scott and I will be back on the other side. We're going to air some Festivus grievances. We're going to talk about this recruiting class, the kids that are coming here. We're going to hit on some unfortunate men's basketball uh, results, uh, the women's basketball and Caitlin Clark. So plenty on the other side. So come back in a few minutes, and we will um, – actually, it'll be a minute or so. Just hang in there. We'll be back. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit 5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. And we are back. I reloaded my coffee, good to go here. How about this, Scott? How about we each air a grievance here, and then we'll get into a little bit of football recruiting, and then we'll periodically air a grievance every every now and then uh, throughout the rest of the show, um, so we're not stacking them up and, and making and making it sound too much like us complaining. Uh, but we're going to complain, and you guys are going to either listen to it or not. So, 
There you go. Fire away, Scott. All right. I'm going to start with the, uh, and since we're on a roll here with this stuff is the ask tough questions crowd. There is nothing that infuriates me more than uh, you guys need to start asking some tough questions, you know, and bullshit. They're tough. We ask difficult, challenging questions. They are not what people want to hear. They're different because we're not standing up like Tom Cruise and and Kirk Ferentz isn't standing there like Nathan Jessup, you know, and we want the truth. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. I mean, and 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 so all when you ask the question, the problem is, isn't with us and what we ask and what we don't ask. The the issue is where's the accountability that you know who is in charge of Kirk and telling Kirk he can or can't do that. You know, and maybe this is just a bad year for football. You know, maybe the, the offense, everything bottomed out. And he can tell that person that and they can say, okay, but you still got to make some changes. Um, it's not with us. It's with the donors. It's with the board of regents. It's with the administration because Kirk and, and Kirk to his credit has done a million great things at the university of Iowa and is a hall of fame coach. But this does the, the responsibility does not rest with, me, <laughs> you know, and standing up and pointing my finger at Kirk. Um, and I, so anyway, yes, I'm, I'm officially pissed off now. And uh, ask tough <laughs> questions is part of my festivus. Yes. And that's a good one. And one I am on board with 100%, but it's still going to happen. So <laughs> I kind of like what I'm going to say. And mine is more of an overall encompassing Social media environment, Scott, especially on Twitter, just the vitriol and anger and hate. I mean, sports are supposed to be fun, right? You're supposed mm -hmm. to get enjoyment out of them. Um, and, and recent developments in Iowa sports, I get it. It, it creates emotions. And I, and I appreciate that emotion. That's the reason why Scott and I have a job is because you guys are so passionate and you love Iowa athletics and you follow it. And it's part of your Saturdays in the fall, and you, you go through bad weather and walk in the cold to get to basketball games sometimes mm -hmm. uh, during the winter and all of that stuff. But some perspective, please, just the anger and some of the stuff I see tweeted. I, I've gotten to the point where it does still affect me, Scott, like from a mental standpoint when people continue to hammer away, mm -hmm. but... I've gotten better at just ignoring it and spending less time on social media to see it. Um, but just can people just be nicer to each other and act like you're sitting next to the person you're tweeting at. And would you tell them to go F themselves just sitting across the table from them, maybe having a beer or drinking a cup of coffee or something like that. I just don't get it. I don't understand does it make people feel better when they're mean to other people? And it sounds like I'm being Pollyanna or Merry Christmas or Happy New Year or any of that other crapola, but it's just humanity, right? Be nice to people. Oh, exactly. And that's that's where social media has, has scrubbed the life of any humanity out there. You know, people, you know, that's, you know, has a an avatar with a name with 15 different uh, numbers and letters after it and they, they flex their muscles on on twitter but you know they're they're not going to say anything like that up front um 
you know, they're the same people who say ask the tough questions, but, you know, then they see Kirk Ferentz and they can't get enough of shaking his hand, you know? And, and so, yeah, I, I'm there with you a thousand percent because I think at, at times this, you know, I have like buddies of mine. They're like, man, you've really taken it, you know, hard this, this fall. And I'm like, yeah, I have. I mean, I've learned to deal with it, but it's not fun. There are days when I'm just like, I, you know, like my wife's like, what's wrong? I'm like, man, this is just, I, I can't take this anymore. And I've left like the phone off, you know, which I need to do more of, frankly, but, you know, instead of scrolling through it while I'm watching TV at night, but, you know, it's just, you know, again, the reaction to everything. And then somebody thinks that, you know, we're kissing Brian's ass and Kirk's ass all the time. And well, you know, I'm trying to, I try to bring up facts, <laughs> you know, and then, yeah, whether it's in some, somebody may not like what you just did, Rob, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, you're the worst person who ever lived. And it's like, good God, it's. And um, it festers itself with one person. And then that person, not always, but that mm -hmm. person gets into the other person and then there's fighting amongst each other. And it's just, it's emotionally, dr mentally draining. I would think yeah. that people wouldn't want to do that. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a shitty quality of life. Right. Really. And that's what we're, that's what we're up against. And, you know, and that's in part because of the team we teams we cover that it's like, can't Iowa ever have nice things? <laughs> you know, is it, wow, you have a, one of the best defenses in the country. Yeah, but you have the worst offense in the country. Oh, um, you're, the basketball team finally gets to Sunday and wins an NCAA basketball tournament. Yeah, but then they're going to lose in the first round of the NCAA. Uh, the women, they have the best player in the country, voted second by most organizations, but still. Um, and then they have a home weekend, and it's sold out twice. And a million people are watching on TV, and then they lose to Creighton at home. It, it, that kind of stuff that if it builds an inferiority complex or, you know, and, and it's really tough to get rid of that. And, and the way that what I do understand, I don't agree with, but I understand is they're not going to just go after Brian on Twitter because Brian may have an account, but it's very uh, hidden now. Uh, they're not going to go after Kirk because he doesn't have one, you know. So what are they going to do? They're going to project it on the people who are there, who are responsive. So they feel like they're there. But every day is freaking Festivus on on Twitter. And and there are days I always I told my uh, <laughs> what the, the funniest thing here, Scott, I'll let you get back to your story is as we talk about this in the chat yeah. room, people are calling us pussified and soft. And it's almost like we're they're proving the they're proving the point in the chat. Yeah. I'm not saying you I'm going to change you guys. This is my yeah. grievance. Yeah. Guys, it's Festivus Eve. I'm, these are grievances. I'm not going to change your mind and maybe I am pussified or soft. I don't care. I don't give a shit. You know, they can say whatever the fuck they want to <laughs> say. I'm sorry. I'm I'm getting But, you know, uh, god damn it. Um, I'm not, I'm not pussified. I'm not soft. I deal with a lot of shit, but some days I get sick of it just like they would. And it's like somebody comes in and this is the thing that the irony that just, you know, really pisses Scott me off. Scott and I are going to come to your office yeah. and just berate you for like an entire day and see how you yeah. like it. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> here's, uh, 
you know, somebody insults the living shit out of you on Twitter. And then you come back at them with an insult. Now, granted, me fighting on Twitter is like fighting with at least one arm tied behind my back because I really don't want to get fired. And I can because I use my real name on there. And then it's like, oh, you're just thin skin. Fuck you. You know what I'd really like to do to you? <laughs> you know, if you said that to me on the street, I'd beat you with a fucking ball bat. But I can't because I'm, I'm, I'm a nice guy. So anyway, um, pussified, soft, whatever. I don't give a shit. Say what you want, you know. But it's just, you know, dealing with this shit every day gets really freaking old. And um, and yes, you're disappointed in the team that that represents you and you're projecting it out on us. Fine. Whatever. But I'll tell you what, it's I know. And hopefully you don't have to bleep me out all this time. But no, I get, I, I'm not bleeping out shit. I'm keeping all this in here. This is raw. This, yeah, is, raw. this is Hawkeye hotspot raw today. So, yeah, yeah. There you go. I'm coming hot with uh, fest on Festivus, and then I'll be and nice. And we're annoying and... people in the chat room, too, which is yeah. kind of nice. Um, yeah. They're mad at us and calling us weak, but that's okay. I'll get, that's up right. the, I'll get up tomorrow morning and do my job. I'll finish my job today. You we love me. you guys. Thanks for yeah. being in the chat room. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We can't, we're not all always going to agree. Can mm-hmm. we be nice to each other? I know yeah. that's a soft approach, but yeah, be that as it's made. Let's yeah. do some recruiting, Scott. Let's get yeah. some more. Let's yeah. talk about the guys that are going to come in and help Iowa. 30 different guys. We're not going to get to all of them today. Uh, I texted Scott last night. I was just kind of looking through the list yesterday. And because I, I cover these guys throughout the whole process, and so does Scott, and we write about when they commit and kind of do a little research then. But it's kind of like on signing day, you go back. And look at the whole group as, as, you know, and kind of look at the pieces and how they fit and you know mm-hmm. the potential there. I really like the potential of this class. That doesn't mean squat right now, but I like the, the guys that are in this class and the potential that they bring. Um, and I asked Scott to do this. Uh, I did it as well. I'm going to let Scott go because I asked him to do this. Uh, yeah. I came up with five guys that I'm intrigued by. And by no means does that mean they're the only guys I'm intrigued by, I'm intrigued by all these guys, actually. Yeah, right. But I have five that really kind of, I'm really intrigued to see where their future goes. Yeah, me too. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put them like kind of all over the place, not just, you know, and some of them are under the radar and, you know, and but they have that opportunity to kind of explode. And then other ones, um, you know, I think they could play right away. And um, I, I listed five. I know you did too. And I'll just kind of, I guess I'll go through my five and then you go through your five and, and unless they copy we'll one. We'll see another. if we have any crossover. Yeah. Um, first one I'm going to mention is, is Chase Brackney from Colorado. And when I pulled up his film and when he committed, I, you know, immediately got kind of a uh, Logan Lee vibe. Um, He's built kind of that way. He's just a big, thick guy who's uh, an impressive pass rusher. I think he can play inside or outside the way Logan Lee can. And I like his strength, his power. And in talking to, you know, Iowa people about him, they just, they think that he's a no-nonsense guy. You know, he's he's a guy that they figured, all right, well, when, when he came and visited, they'll just go ahead and give him an offer and, and he'll probably think it over and wait. And said he committed right away and he's been strong ever since. He's, you know, from Cherry Creek, you know, which produced uh, Alex Padilla. So I, I think he's got the opportunity that, you know, not maybe this year, but 
you know, maybe next year he comes, you know, 2024, he, you know, becomes a low end rotational guy. And then 2025, he becomes a high end rotational guy. And then maybe he's a two year starter after that. And I really like his potential. And uh, I think he could be, you know, like your three tech kind of kind of player uh, Two, And this is, you know, he's an under the radar guy all the way, but I think he's got a potential to really take off when he gets here, maybe a lot like Brandon Smith did. And that's Dayton Howard from Kansas City. Park Hill, um, you know, kind of blew up, um, you know, his, his stats were great. And he's in that market, you know, he went to Park Hill, which is part of the suburban league and in Kansas City area, it's, it's a tremendous league of, of football. And um, their team wasn't all that good. But, you know, they did have a good quarterback. But, you know, he just he's um, six four. They're going tall receiver again. I think they want people who can stretch the field and, um, you know, we see we know what this wide receiver core has already lost and what it was even before they lost these players. So I think he's got an opportunity here to step right in and um, and find a role. And um, I, I think he can be something pretty good right away. Uh, the most recent commit, uh, Terrell Washington. I think he's uh, he's. Pe- packed a little differently than what you'd expect. You know, you'd think, you know, you think 5'11", 195, he's probably a wiry guy, you know, maybe Took one from Purdue. Take that. Yeah. <laughs> I know your coach <laughs> left, but we finally got one of your guys. But I, it would not surprise me based on what they have is if he, and he's enrolling early. If Did his dad play college ball? Yeah, he did. Yeah. So yeah. I think he played at Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so Terrell Washington could, you know, and I'm not making a projection. I'm just laying out a scenario that I think he could be um, number two running back by the end of spring. You know, uh, you know, he just, told me that they talked about kind of using him in different ways, kind of like mm-hmm. a Swiss army knife. Yeah. Which is what they had with two other guys, <laughs> but, but they didn't really do it. You know, they tried hey, to make you gotta, you have to sell something on the recruiting yeah. trail. You have to sell, you know, the the best case scenario, let's say. Right. Well, at least in his case, he's a running back first. So yes. <laughs> the other two, they were Swiss Army knives that they tried to play as X receivers. Did not work. Um, you know, and I've got a lot of guys that I mean I can talk about all of them, but um the guy that just came aboard this weekend is fascinating to me, Tegan Davis. And uh when you look at him, at first I'm like, okay, is that Matt Vandenberg's little brother? He <laughs> <laughs> looks like Matt. He's built like Matt. Uh, his, you know, he's a do-it-all, all-everything guy from Princeton, Illinois. And there's really no difference between Princeton, Illinois, and somewhere in northwest Iowa. I mean, it's two hours away, and it's uh, just on the other side of the river. And um, he's got all the qualities, a high-jump champion, um, all, you know, do-it-all guy he could play corner and that's really something that you maybe didn't ex- expect but you know 6'2 175 so he's got length uh playmaking ability you know there's a lot of comparisons we can make it's probably too early I mean everybody wants to jump in and uh, Riley, Moss. Riley Moss or <laughs> Cooper DeGene or you know hey but they, we're talking best case scenario here with right. what we're selling on the recruiting trail and what we're projecting it's right we're gonna we're not going to project somebody that's go we're not going to predict failure and mm-hmm. transfer <laughs> failure and transfer <laughs> but I'm gonna go with somebody like Greg Maven I mean long armed uh you know 
could, could play multiple positions. And Greg built himself into a pretty good player. And of course, he's, um, you know, still in the NFL, still on an active roster. So, you know, good on him. And then my last guy is the ultimate, I won't say bust by any stretch, but, but potential boom guy. And that's Cannon Leonard. I mean, he's all of 6'8", 270. And he's not a guy that you're going to expect to walk in the door next year and start. If he is, there's some problems. And and, and Cade McNamara is probably not playing quarterback because he's probably hurt. But, uh, if, <laughs> you know, but maybe in two years, all of a sudden, you know, hey, he's uh, – He's on Iowa. He's getting built up. He's gained 300, you know, he's up to 300 pounds. He's, uh, his feet are agile. He's got, you know, all these types of things. And, and I think if that works out, holy smokes, you've got that guy that long playing tackle for your team. He could be a really good, um, you know, he's got potential, you know, and he's got toughness and, um, you know, if not, if, you know, it doesn't work out. Well, you still got all these guys on your team and Lord knows that, you know, more than half of the offensive linemen haven't worked out, even the ones that have played. So I think uh, overall, that's a really good um, shoot your shot um, with somebody like him. Yeah. Super athlete, really good basketball player as well. Um, And we talked about earlier, Scott, when we're talking about NIL and roster management, the foundation, the cornerstone of Iowa football remains development and getting these guys out of high school and building them up into, you know, all big 10 players, potentially NFL players. That's still the foundation. Now you have an opportunity and a responsibility to supplement that through the transfer portal, uh, getting guys where you need guys, maybe where guys don't develop, where you have injuries, whatever the case may be. But the Cannon Leonard's of the world are still going to be a huge part of this program. Um, let me see. I'm bring my guys up here. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm going to start with my guy, the guy that I've probably known the longest in this class uh, from up the road in Marion. Uh, mm. Super athlete. I've, I've interviewed him in person a ton of times. Uh, and I'm r- really intrigued by what Alex Moda can do here at a position of need at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I first saw him, Scott, play Clear Creek Amana during the pandemic in the playoffs over in Tiffin. And I was sitting with Ryan Merkin from Your Prep Sports, and we both kind of looked at each other and said, man, that kid is, that kid's got a chance. And he was playing quarterback at the time, and uh, Marion ended up upsetting Clear Creek that night, uh, and, and it was because of him. He was just a tremendous athlete, and he's played some safety. He, he's flipped over and played some, you know, to, to get acclimated to wide receiver this year. Just really like Alex's potential. Great story just tragically lost his parents at a young age. Um, But had people, you know, pick him up and raise him. And it's a great story. And and it's going to be told more when he gets here. People, I know people will tell his story more. It's been told Jeff Johnson from the Gazette was the first one who wrote about it. And uh, Alex is just a great kid. Um, He's been an ambassador in terms of recruiting in this class and trying to get guys into this class. So, Super excited to see what happens with Alex. Another guy, um, kind of an underrated Detroit lineman. I mm. like these guys. Kenneth Merriweather. Yeah. Um, this kid, very low-key, very quiet, seems to fit here, just kind of goes about his business, very grounded, uh, tremendous athlete. I think I just I like the package here. Not saying Chauncey Golston. 
not saying said Lattimore. I'm just saying mm-hmm. they've had success with these types of guys from that area. And I think Kenneth can be one of those guys. Another guy that I've seen quite a bit um, and gotten to know, uh, not, he wasn't like somebody Iowa identified early, um, too early, I would say for an in-state guy, but Aiden Hall, mm-hmm. um, just really one of those in-state athletes, you know, can do a little bit of everything dominated at the college level on both sides of the ball. Um, Really like his potential and think that, you know, the looking at him as somebody who can play quarterback receiver safety, they're going to turn him into a linebacker. Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by that because of that athleticism that's going to be at that position with him. Uh, Another I'll go back to, or not go back to um, Khalil Tate. Out of Chicago, Kenwood, the guy they beat Wisconsin, Illinois. This was a good pull for Mm -hmm. Iowa in terms of when you're talking about beating schools that you compete with regularly for recruits. Mm -hmm. Tremendous athlete. Another kid that's multi-positional in high school, uh, really high ceiling. I think he can play early, Scott. I think he's a guy that can come in and contribute early, maybe special teams next year, and then just kind of develop into – you know, as Iowa loses guys in the secondary, he can move into that. He's a guy, I think, hash maybe, safety, mm-hmm. corner. I mean, I think you can just, play, you know, kind of move him around when he gets here and, and and find the right seat for him on the bus. And then I, it'd be remiss of me not to mention the City High kid. Yes. My kids go to City High. I'm from right. Iowa City. I live on the east side of Iowa City. We got a guy that's coming in, Scott, that's going to play linebacker and wrestle heavyweight. <laughs> that just doesn't happen every day. How can you not um, be intrigued by that? That was one of my takeaways was, yeah. was the plan. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and Tyler Barnes did a great job of explaining what, what Tom Rands was saying, you know, which was just, just, just go get it done. You know, <laughs> that was his explanation on how we're going to work this out. Just get it done. But, you know, one thing that Tom did tell him is that, look, if there's a kid who can do this, it's Ben Keeter. And um, he's the, you can make the strong case that he's the best high school wrestler in the country and maybe the best that's ever wrestled in the state of Iowa in high school. And I remember distinctly a year behind me in school because I did wrestle for a couple of years at Burlington uh, and we saw him at tournaments a lot was Jeff McGinnis, who was fantastic in high school and a very good wrestler in Iowa. Um, You know, and I think Ben might be better. And plus he's at upper weights, which are just, really difficult to, to do. And, um, and then a linebacker, you know, he's got a toughness. I've seen him play. He's, um, he's got a physicality. It's what's going to be interesting to me is that, you know, with Brody Brecht, you've got more, I mean, it's tough, but you've got kind of more of a, a clear line set between, uh, the, the seasons, you know, and how you work out. Whereas with this, you're going one right into the other and you're taking the most physical, you know, the physical football season and you're going to be banged up and bruised and injured and everything. And then next thing you know, you're projecting it to uh, wrestling right afterwards. It's not like high school. You know, there's there's going to be, you know, what happens if he has a shoulder, you know, and and stuff. So and he's an Olympic caliber wrestler. He's he's he can wear the gold medal, um, if not in two years. And six. So that's gonna take that's gonna be really fascinating to watch, Rob. Yeah, no question. I'm uh I'm I'm all in on the Ben Keeter train to see 
uh, how he does this. And, and I'm, I am a fan. I'm rooting for him to be able to do this because I think it would be a tremendous story and it would help two Iowa programs out a lot. You've got a world-class wrestler and you've got a guy who has a heck of a lot of potential on the football field. Um, whether it be at linebacker, eventually he moves up and, and maybe yeah. plays off the edge. He's very obviously very athletic, uh, plays with great leverage as a wrestler. He understands that uh, pad mm-hmm. level, things like that. So really, really excited to see that. What else do we want to talk about here? I And when I did this list, Scott, I left yeah. out Cade McNamara and Eric Hall, obviously. Yeah. And I left out Marco because mm-hmm. everybody's intrigued by the quarterback. And I think Iowa got a good one here in Marco. Yeah. I've watched a lot of his film, haven't seen him in person. Uh, but this is a kid where he comes in next year, he's behind McNamara, and then let's see how he measures up with Labus and Carson May. And then you've got uh, Jimmy uh, Rolder. No, no, Jimmy Rolder from Jacksonville in the 24 class. That's Rezar? Rezar. 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 Why yeah. did I call him Rolder? Was I thinking? Oh. I think I, I think I was thinking of a linebacker that Iowa recruited that ended up at Michigan, Jimmy Roller. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But Reeser. So now yeah. you know you've kind of got an you've kind of got an idea of what your quarterback room is going to look like the next couple of years. You hope. I mean, you're, there's yeah. a chance of attrition, but you have an idea what you have to work with at least. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they needed it. The security of Cade McNamara is is unmatched. I mean, after the struggles that they've had for the last few years. They needed somebody who could come in that had immediate respect, which Spencer Petras had in every aspect, you know, unfortunately, but but consistent performance. And um, I think what he does is he brings that in from Michigan. He commands it. And I think it allows the quarterbacks, you know, Marco uh, Carson, as you said, and Joe Labus, who's going to start the bowl game, uh, you know, it allows them to kind of work behind him. And then, you know, he can, you know, McNamara could be here up to two years. And same thing with all. I would expect all to be here for one if he's healthy, you know, but still, who cares, you know, <laughs> out there and yeah. play. Um, and so uh, I think that's really, that's really good. Um, you know, there, there's so much that I am intrigued with. Um, you know, the, the guy who got completely overshadowed all year long is, is, uh, is Trevor Lauk. And uh, that's, you know, a shame because he's a four star offensive lineman. He's, the only four star that they have on the roster. He and Leighton Jones are both all Amer- are, are uh, all American Bowl guys. Yeah, and uh, you know whether it's everything with Caden Proctor, whether it's everything, you know, just you know for all summer long, and then the struggles up front, and you know it's it's really kind of difficult for the position they're in. And then finally, you know, the, one of the most interesting stories to me is Terry Thompson. Uh, who's, you know, Iowa Western, but, you know, when I heard he was from Dubuque, Hempstead, I'm like, who, what, you know, I'm like, I'm, it's great you know, story. I, it's a yeah, great story. Exactly. And talking to him a couple of days ago, I'm writing about it this weekend, just, you know, this his journey from Dubuque where he's struggled academically. He was academically ineligible. Then, you know, then he just, he got mad. He got a concussion and quit didn't play. And, and then finally his senior year during the COVID year, it was like, well, everybody can play. And he, and he had to get talked into it. Then he got, gets talked into going to Iowa Western and voila, kind of takes they got off. a pretty good program over there. Yeah, they do. They have a great <laughs> program. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Strohmeyer has done an amazing job and then you've got some great assistants too. So, yep. you know, and it was proven last week when they won the national title and, um, 
So, you know, I, I think overall, this is really a, a glue kind of class. I don't know that I see many flashy players, but those that can be are kind of under the radar. So you don't know. I mean, do we know, if, you know, you know, Terrell uh, Washington, you know, maybe he's the breakout guy, maybe. And we don't know it. You know, maybe, maybe one of the they, wide receivers. Maybe they, I'm, I'm stealing your thunder. Maybe they hit on a receiver. It'd yeah. be nice. Jared, yeah. Jared Bowie. Jared Bowie. Florida, Could be Florida guy. Yeah. Jerry at Bowie. Wow. That's, that's going to be an interesting way to say it, but you know, or, uh, you know, Dayton Howard or, um, Alex Moda, as you said, you know, and I, I already used the damn comparison with Tegan Davis, but it was, I should have used it. Alex Moda with, with Greg Nate. That was the one that I knew. <laughs> but you know, he might be a better wide receiver or a defensive back, but they just decide to keep him a wide receiver. So, or, you know, maybe he flips over after a year and they hit, hit it right in the transfer portal. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of potential here. Zach Orthworth, you know, is, is Orthworth is going to be okay. I think it's tight end and can he kind of get on that path? We haven't talked about Kamari Moulton. He was under the radar. We talked about Arnold Barnes before that, Spurn in Iowa, then decommitting from Nebraska after Mickey Joseph leaves and then asks, he raises his hand. They're like, oh, we've already moved on. And, and but I'll say this that this, this is another thing that I was done really smart last probably handful of years is lock up a lot of in-state and regional PWOs who have potential. I mean, we talked about Jalen Thompson. I think Jalen Thompson could be a steal here. I think Jalen Thompson, you know, with 20 more pounds and maybe another inch of growth, shoot, he could get a scholarship and he could be a you know a starter by year three. You now I think that's my a, dude. Yeah. That's my uh, that's the family friend Jalen Thompson, yeah. and I uh, was talking with him at uh, friends graduate his cousin's graduation party uh, this summer, and we were talking just sitting on a couple of those old school lawn chairs, you know, like with the with the like uh, mm-hmm. vinyl over. <laughs> yeah, but uh, just asking him, you know, kind of what he was looking for and what he was interested in, and at that point he had FCS offers. Then Northern Illinois came in and offered him, and he took that. He always wanted to be a Hawk. I mean, his dad played here, Rod Thompson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's he's always been an Iowa fan. And I, I I think that one is you get somebody that's going to Northern Illinois, going to a Mac school to walk on, That that's good. Yeah, that's really good. And have that ability to walk in, work hard. And, and, and if Iowa does have a good reputation, it, you know, with, it's definitely with PWOs. Because if you're good, They'll scholarship, you know, they will, they will, and they will play. I mean, once you, it's kind of like once everybody arrives, then there go the stars, there go the scholarships, there goes all the praise and you kind of start from zero scratch. And sometimes that, not not to say that they're not going to fast track somebody, you know, and, but, you know, you do have that opportunity and, you know, it's funny. uh, I was mentioning this with Gary Kerner on, on Twitter that, you look back at the 2017 and 18 classes, um, you know, some of the, you know, the Julius Brents and, and DJ Johnson and, and some of the, you know, really elite level defensive backs, uh, you know, Dallas Craddock. And you're talking about two four stars and a high three star. And then you look at the two stars, Geno Stone in 17, Kayvon Merriweather in 18, Riley Moss, a gray shirt two star, Jack Kerner, a walk on. That's pretty good, man. They did a really nice job with those guys. And, um, you know, Riley will be a draft pick. 
you know, uh, Kayvon, maybe he'll be a draft pick, but he'll certainly be in a camp for sure. Uh, you look at Jack, he, he got signed and he's now in the XFL. Uh, the other one, but, uh, but, you know, so they've done a really nice job with a lot of these guys. And, and I think that's the thing with the PWOs and the low level recruits that get overlooked is they usually come in with good work ethics and, and a lot of them are small town guys or, you know, and they just boom, they just boom when they're here. And, and so I, I think that, you know, there could be a couple on this list in three years who are saying, oh yeah, they're a scholarship guy and they're really a big contributor. Watts McBride, you know, from CR Washington is another one. Uh, Aiden you know, McDermott, I like a lot. I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of him and he was committed to South Dakota state. It right. was pretty good. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're playing for the national type, <laughs> you know, and they, we saw him in person and, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty good that day too. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he had an opportunity with you and I, they offered him too. And um, instead he chose to prefer the preferred walk on path. And, and if he, if he didn't have an opportunity to earn a scholarship, I'm sure that's probably not the path he would take. No question. And we'll see more <clears throat> preferred walk-ons added to this class yeah. before the end. We'll see guys from the transfer portal. We could see high school seniors, good chance of that. I think we're going to be see a lot more activity in January, maybe than we have the last few years. Not as much as the old days when there was one signing day in February, but I think we could have some more activity in January than we have the past few years when much much of the class was wrapped up in December. So look forward to talking about that next month. I did want to let folks know, I forgot to say this coming out of the commercial break, but Ariza, Asian cuisine, one of the sponsors of our show is open as it was on thanksgiving for christmas day so if you're in the area here and you don't want to cook excellent food check them out ariza asian cuisine it's over uh by vi over by the village in there over uh on the corner of whatever that would be highway six and highway one in iowa city so check them out please if you would great food you won't be disappointed scott um i'm going to start with the positive from yesterday at Carver Hawkeye arena. Okay. Caitlin Clark. All right. (laughs) She's good. Yeah. 2000 points, 75 games. Think about that. Roll that around in your mind a little bit. If you're listening to this 75 games, 2000 points. Tied uh, Elena Deladon, who's, you know, one of the biggest women's stars, basketball players out there um, for the record. Quickest to 2,000 points, 75 games. That is amazing, and she's been an amazing player since day one. And she's still only an early junior. She hasn't really gotten to her. You know, she's played, what, one conference game. So, (laughs) you know, she's still got two more tournaments. She's got her junior and senior year, the years that are probably the most productive in a player's career. Um, You know, we've seen some remarkable basketball players over time. And I don't want to be leery. I'm leery of recency bias, just like I am legacy bias as much. But, you know, we've been blessed to see some of the women's basketball players over the last 10 so years. Megan Gustafson, of course, at the top of the list. Samantha Logic was fantastic. Allie Disterhoff scored a lot of points. Um, Caitlin Clark's different. You know, maybe because she's a guard. Guards have a different way of, scoring points that, you know, shooting from the logo and all that stuff, but it's just been fantastic. It's, it's the funnest 
type of experience, the Caitlin Clark experience, <laughs> is just the most fun you could ever have. And to have 2,000 points, it, you know, I mean, what's this? What's the, can she get four? Is that is that too much to ask? I mean, she's like you, you said, know, she got to 75. Basically, I mean, this season counts. It, yeah. A lot of it was done as an underclassman. Right. And now you figure, I guess it depends on how much they need her to score the next yeah. two years. I mean, you got Cezano now, um, you know, and when she has good matchups, she's going to take away some points or score points. I shouldn't say take away. So, but I think it's in range. I think 4K is in range, don't you? I think it's possible. Yeah. I think it's going to matter, you know, how many games does she have where, you know, they're playing. Uh, how far do they go in the postseason? Yeah. Right. I mean, if they can get to the final four, is she getting 30 a night? You know, some nights are they 19? Uh, how much does Cezano score? How much does, you know, players around her score that, you know, how much they need her to? How much does she? <laughs> but I, I think at a minimum, you're looking at 3,500. <laughs> and considering there's two men's players who've ever scored 2,000 points, it's just remarkable. And then, you know, you got, you know, Megan Gustafson coming back. Megan Gustafson and Caitlin Clark back to back. Women's basketball fans in the state are blessed, no question. And you think about it, I think her name was Cindy Hogjorn from mm-hmm. the 70s, was Iowa women's basketball's leading scorer for years, decades. Then Disterhoff breaks that record. Then Gustafson breaks that record. Now Clark's going to break the record. That gives you kind of perspective of how high level these players are that Lisa has in the program right now. And she's uh, not to to age Lisa, but uh, she has aged like fine wine. I think this is these are her best teams she's ever had. She's put together. She's fa- she's learned over time. She hasn't stopped learning, and she's put together a program now that's you know, among the top in the country, among the top in the conference. No question, because she's just can continue to get better. I mean, I think we remember those teams 10, 15 years ago. They were good. They were getting to the tournament. But remember, there were a lot of times where they'd struggle to get to the second round. Yep. And then they were maybe fourth or fifth in the Big Ten. And, you know, good program, probably a lot comparable to the men's program, but not – not doing what they're doing now. I mean, it's, you know, to get to the elite eight with Megan Gustafson, to get to the, you know, to win the big 10 tournament and regular season crown with Caitlin Clark. And they've got a style, a style that players love to play and it works. So yeah, she's, she's really hit her stride as a coach and Iowa has a program uh, probably at the, the best level that it's, it's been since C Vivian was taken to the final four back in the early nineties. Agreed, no doubt. Get out there and watch them. They're bump, jumping back into Big Ten play. I think they have Purdue next on the 29th, maybe. Check your schedule. I'm sure there's tickets available there for that. I think it's a later start. It might be 8 o'clock. But back into Big Ten play for the Iowa women. They're done with that. want to hit a question here quick from you, from the YouTube chat, Scott, before we go to the uh, the, the men's team and, and the sorrow that's happened yesterday with that squad but somebody in the chat room asked about what the preferred walk-ons for football get well they get everything that the scholarship guys get in terms of training table and and resources that way and then they're also included in the swarm collective they get you know they get it they get the piece of that as well so it's not like they're coming here for nothing they don't get everything 
and they still would like to earn those those full scholarships, but they don't come they don't come in empty handed either. It's not the it's not nearly the way it was, say seven, eight, nine years ago, and then beyond, where walk-ons weren't even allowed to eat with their teammates. Right. Which is bullshit. We all know it was it was at the time and it is now. And and well, you know, and it was all food issues were bullshit back then yes. where you could only get feed them for one meal a day and crackers were fine. There were snacks, but crackers with cream cheese were considered meals and a violation. And, and, you know, and that's and why a, it's no wonder they lost nine to nine zero in the Supreme court. Well, exactly. They were so <laughs> damn punitive all those years. I mean, you know, and, and remember the outrage over that and pay, you know, the scholarship covering the full cost of attendance and uh, all the radio shows we talked about because Texas might be $5,500 and Iowa might be $3,500. And therefore, players are going to go for that extra $2,000. Now, now we're talking extra $200,000. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but, you know, at any rate, yeah, they get all those perks. They get to participate in the, in the, swarm you know you know as long as they do their things and then um the food and that's that's so essential i mean my gosh because you know walk-ons i I remember talking to cole croston about this because he was a walk-on and built himself into a you know he went to the he played in the nfl for a couple years and and just the difficulties of pre-food of being a walk-on and having to buy it and buy it in bulk you know and and even guys like like Bruce Nelson and what they would do is they would go buy like in bulk tuna fish, like cases of tuna fish and wake themselves up in the middle of the night and eat a can of tuna fish or, you know, stuff like that because they weren't allowed to get those uh, perks, you know, eat, eating and stuff like that. It's just, you know, I, yeah. So preferred walk-ons get, answer this question. Yeah, absolutely get it, have that. And it's just, it's amazing. And looking back, how punitive and you know arbitrary the NCAA was in that area. Thanks to Jared S for that question out of the YouTube chat room. We'll uh, like I said, not personal. I try to get to the questions I think uh, I can get to when I can, but feel free to fire them off and we'll try to get to as many as we can throughout the show. Won't be like the mailbag podcast, but we will not ignore you either. All right, Scott, you have the stat from ESPN. There were how many teams favored by 30 plus points? Before yesterday, that lost in in major college basketball, and how many are there now? There, there were a total of zero out of 588 over the last 30 years, and there none of them had won until yesterday. Iowa was a 31 and a half point favorite at home against Eastern Illinois, who was what three and nine at the time, and Iowa started off strong, right? I mean, they were up uh, what 18 to four. Yep, and and then decided, eh, we're we're done playing for the day. We're gonna go and uh, uh, go hit the showers and you know early in the first half, and then they still had a decent lead at halftime. Good God, what happened in that second half? <laughs> you know, it just looks like nobody nobody cared. You know, and I mean, you know, their second half they shot what two of seventeen from three in the second half. 11 to 36 from the floor as a whole and from the free throw line, 14 to 23. Um, that is my friend, a recipe for disaster. And even when you lose these games on days that include bowl and all the football stuff, uh, when you become a headline and you're not ranked, it's a bad day. And this was a bad, 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 bad day for Iowa men's basketball. 
Yeah, we're sitting watching, I think, the North Carolina-Michigan game last night. I was finishing up my work, and my son uh, was sitting next to me on the couch, and it was going to halftime of the North Carolina-Michigan game, and I said, you watch. That Iowa upset is going to be high in the highlights when they go, and it was. It was the second one in, I think, last night, and that's like Northwestern State. When you lose to Northwestern State in the NCAA tournament, that's going to be in the one shining moment highlights of you losing that game mm-hmm. because it's such an upset. And yesterday, sitting there, Scott, I'm like, it just it was a it wasn't a good environment. There weren't many people there at the game. Connor was out. Chris is still out. Those are kind of the reasons, not excuses, but it was just that. But you know that going in, you know mm-hmm. these pre Christmas games. There's a lack of energy. There's how am I getting home for Christmas? And, you know, what, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing after the game? You really, it's a challenge to stay locked in and do what you need to do to win these games. And you don't look, need to look any farther than defensively from an Eastern Illinois team that I believe was scoring a little like 62 points a game coming in, throwing a 90 spot on you. That's just, to me, that's an effort and focus thing when you allow a team like that i mean there were runouts not getting like breakaway dunks they were giving up in the second half they being the hawkeyes just not engaged and i thought shot selection sucked uh early shots not running offense but ultimately it's that you know the black eye that when iowa doesn't play well it's defensively, and that's what it was yesterday. It's fascinating when you look through the box score, because I'll be honest with you, I did I was doing extra interviews on recruiting day that'll, you know, for stories that I'll have to live on for the next few months. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I listened to part of the, the end of the first half and part of the second half, and they were up. They didn't sound like they were playing great, but they were up, you know. So I was like, ah, you know, again. I didn't pay any really attention to it. And then my wife asked me how the team's dead. And I said, they both won and um, <laughs> didn't realize that I was wrong. Liar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just saw the women's game and the score and that was it. And uh, Oh my God. Um, but you know, the, what's crazy is you look at some of the stats. I mean, they, Eastern Illinois had 17 turnovers. Um, that's terrible. For a terrible yeah. team, Iowa had 16 offensive rebounds. Uh, that usually means they're getting a lot of second second chance points, um, and they did. They got some, but still, it it's just you allowed 52 in the paint. And the other part is the bench. What is Fran doing when you're that depleted and you're still not playing? You know, Desante Bowen plays 13 minutes. Agundale plays less than three. Um, in you know, the first I'm not, half. Yeah, uh, just D- Josh Dix played 11, you know, and that's fine with him. I still don't know that I would trust him completely to play a, a full game. But but at some point, you just, hey, we, we got to do something different here. You know, we got to bring guys in who at least play some defense. And, you know, but it sounded like, and I was not there for the end of it you know, for the press conference, but it was still more of an offensive failure rather than a defensive acceptance. And, I don't know, man. I think the, well, bad the offense sometimes affects your defense. You're taking quick shots. You're taking, you know, bad shots early in offense. You get runouts, things like yeah. that. And that's what was happening yesterday. So I understand 
that part of that component of it, but it was defense. You can't give away breakaway dunks to a team like this. You got to buckle down, Scott. And, you know, at this point in their careers, when you're missing Chris, who I don't think is a huge vocal leader, Connor certainly is. And when Connor's on the court, he demands respect and he's a team captain for a reason. Yeah. But these are the type of type of games where guys like Aaron Euless, Tony Perkins, Patrick McCaffrey, those are the types of guys. I mean, those guys are upperclassmen now. You've got to, mm-hmm. you know, you 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 have, you know, Bowen and Dix uh, and some younger guys that are even Rabracha too. I mean, those mm-hmm. are the guys they have you got to get into your teammates and say, listen, we're not doing this. No question. They've got to impress upon it. I mean, whether it's the backcourt, um, it doesn't matter. And you can't just look at their scoring, you know, because because no. in a game like this. They should be scoring 83. They should be scoring 92. They should be doing all of that. Um, but They what usually look, put up over 100 on teams like this. Yes, exactly. Um, what you're looking at is fast break points for them versus you. They got outscored 26 to 7 on the fast break. That's telling me no defense. Now, that's, that's also saying, again, like you said, poor shot selection, that they're not getting uh, – um, they're not doing what they need to do offensively. They're quick shooting the ball. There's runouts. There's they're not getting back. But ultimately, you still got to play defense, and you can give up some of that, but not a lot of that. And to lose by nine, it's not a fluke. It's not a Northwestern State in the last yeah. shot from the corner. And um, you know when you allow them to shoot thirty six of sixty, <laughs> you know, and, and they they didn't shoot very well from the free throw line either. They missed eight free throws. So this is uh, you got out rebounded. You know. I, I don't know. What what approach do you take with Fran? Do you try to say, look, there's a bad game, or do you press upon him? I mean, you know, I think this is really an important part and, you know, con- a junction for this team because this was the last easy game, really, for them, you know, and then they get into Big Ten play and, this, you know, and, and they've played pretty well up to this point. So is it an outlier? Is it a bad game? Or is it a, a predictor of, okay, this could be a really rough season? Time will tell, no doubt. Obviously, you need Chris back to be mm-hmm. able to to get to where you want to get to, uh, where where you have the potential to get to. Um, it's going to take Chris and Connor too, for that matter. I mean, he's such. You look at yesterday, the lack of defense, Scott. That's Connor's calling card. He plays. He can guard pretty much every position on the court. Uh, he wouldn't have let that happen yesterday. The, yeah. I, I, maybe the the other guys would have just you know, broken down and there was nothing he could have done about it, but he would have tried um, to me, big picture wise. And we talked about this before we started recording, you drop from 27 in the net to 60 with one loss. Now you've got work to do. You, I, you, mm-hmm. you had work to do anyway in the big 10, you can't go whatever, you know, six and 14 in the big 10 expected, yeah. but now the pressure is on. You mm-hmm. got to win that game at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. You've, you know, you can't lose that game at Nebraska and fall farther down the net. And and I right. don't know how much they would fall for that. I don't. I haven't checked what, where Nebraska is in the net, but you put pressure on yourself now by losing a game you should not have lost in the non-conference that cost you thirty-three spots in the net. I've never seen that before. Yeah, me either. And this isn't losing to a power five. This isn't losing to a really good group of five. You know, like sometimes they've lost to like South Dakota State or somebody like that that plays well or plays together, has a good game. You know, this one's a bad team. This is a team that's going nowhere. 
And they've got to make sure that uh, now their mulligan's gone, you know, and everybody has them during the season. I mean, most teams are not like Duke or something like that. But, you know, you have those games where you just, you just didn't feel it. You didn't shoot well. You didn't play well together and, and you get beat by a mediocre team. But, you know, those, those are supposed to happen in the Big Ten. Those are supposed to happen when you go to Northwestern and you're having an off night and they're having a great night or Nebraska. Now you can't do that anymore. Now, now all your margin for error is gone because even if you're 10 and 10 in the Big Ten, this game is going to stick to you like a cockaburst sticks to Velcro. I mean, you know, it's a better analogy than the one I used before. Rob. When they go that. over the bubble teams at the end of yeah. the year, that EIU lo- bad losses. Yeah. EIU. And then they're going to put like the net ranking of EIU at like 10,005. Yeah. I exaggerate. Aren't they like 356 or something? I yeah, saw. It, I mean, yeah, it's bad. It, it was a monumental loss. Quad four. And, and again, this is a game that had the score been flipped, you would have just shrugged it off. Oh, well. You know, before break, they didn't yep. play well. They won. They didn't play good defense. Move on. But the, <laughs> to lose by nine at home, you know, um, and with a co- pre-co- you know, with a COVID crowd, and <laughs> you know, it, it's just, you know, you look at, you know, just some of, you know, to go seven to thirty-three from three tells you that they were looking for answers and cheap fixes. Um, when you have Pat McCaffrey zero for seven, Aaron Ulis zero for seven. Um, you know, three for 10 for, you know, for Sanford, who found his shot against SEMO, but, you know, th- this is okay, I guess. But you just, in a lot of ways, I think what happens with basketball teams, especially with three-point shooting teams, is they figure, go for the quick fix. So just hit a couple threes and you're right back in it. You're playing better. And a lot of times it's an easy way out. And when they're not hitting, then it makes it worse because a lot of times the, the sh- people aren't necessarily near the basket when the ball comes down and then you can run out if they're not getting back. Yep. We'll see. I mean, it's up to them. Uh, I think the talent is still there to be an NCAA tournament team. Um, And we'll see how they navigate the 20, well, not 20 games anyway, where they got 19 left. They've played one against Wisconsin. So, so you got a home loss against, you know, you got that home loss against Wisconsin and then the Eastern Illinois that tells you there's work to do in the big 10, you're already 0 and one. And then, you know, getting those quality wins in the big 10, you can't just beat Northwestern. Um, You're going to need to get some quality wins. You know, you have Iowa state on your resume, maybe Clemson, I think as well. So you have um, Georgia tech, Georgia tech. I mean, you have some, some power five quad one wins, but you're going to have to stack some more of those in the big 10 to get yourself. Cause you don't want to just get into the tournament either. You want to be able to get in there and be able to do something. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to go to Dayton, you don't yeah. want to go, you, you know, in some ways you don't want to get in that eight, nine game. I'd rather be a 10 than an eight, nine, yeah. cause you just know that your next round is, unless you have a great night, you're going to have a bad, bad night. Um, so can they be, yeah, you know, they, they can be an NCAA tournament team, but I think this just really, this dents them worse than any other loss they've ever, they've had in years. Um, I, the only one, you know, I remember the Campbell loss and this was God, 10 years ago now, maybe um, right the night before um, Thanksgiving, 
and that was horrible, you know, because they got just blown up by like yep. 15. And and Fran took like an hour and 20 minutes before he came to a news conference afterwards, which was miserable again because it was the night before <laughs> Thanksgiving. And uh, I but, remember that. Yeah, that was unfortunate. That's that's a festival sponsor. But, uh, you know, other than that, you know, that they've got, yeah, they've got work to do because everything that you felt after the Iowa State game two weeks ago, Rob, has gone out the window because this just buries it. It's just the most disastrous loss, you know, Iowa's had non-tournament that I can remember. Eight days off, Scott, till they travel to Lincoln, uh, play Nebraska on Thursday, December the 29th at 6 p.m., uh, and then a road trip and will be a tough one at Penn State on New Year's Day, Sunday, January 1st, 4.30 p.m. Uh, both of those are on the Big Ten Network. And then Indiana will come to Iowa City. That's the next home game. That is Thursday, January the 5th, 8 o'clock tip. I love 8 o'clock tips. Um, there's a grievance. I got a, I got a grievance. 8 o'clock tips. Uh, yeah. Let's hop in and hit a couple more grievances here, Scott, and we'll get out of here. Uh, you go ahead. Okay. Um, let's go with, uh, the too many bulls guy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I did a big time story last week. I mean, talked to so many different people on bulls, the future of the bulls beyond the new year's six. And when, when it morphs into the college football playoffs, will they exist? Well, you know, what's their importance? And of course, because Twitter is such a wonderful place to be sometimes. Um, oh, let's not read the story. Let's just give me your opinion, which I think, you know, which I don't pay attention to. You know, it's like, read, read the story and then tell me what you think. And then I might comment. But, oh, there's just too many bull games. There's just too many bull games. Well, first of all, it's football. Who is it I mean, hurting? I know. Who, who are cares? too many bowl games hurting? Who cares if New Mexico State? Yeah, there's there's. There's their games, their football games. Who cares? I watch every damn, everyone, I, if I'm like, if if I know a ball game's on, I'll take my yeah. laptop down to the family room and I'll put the game on. Right. I mean, you had Western, uh, Western, English, Western Kentucky. Boy, isn't that a fun offense? Yeah. And playing South Alabama last night. Great. It's a game, you know. So what that New Mexico State's playing in Detroit the day after Christmas? <laughs> if you don't want to watch it, then don't watch it. You know, it's kind of like complaining about the NIT. Who cares? Um, and but then here's the reality that doesn't quite sink in that for too many bulls guy, and that is um, last year <clears throat> when you look at college basketball versus college football and rankings, 19 bowl games outrated all but one regular season men's basketball game. Now, once it got into the tournament, they, they went up as you expect, but, yeah. you know, and, and the postseason tournaments too, but the only game that fit inside those first 19 bowl games was coach K's finale at home against North Carolina, you know, which was a special game. Other than that, <clears throat> when you start looking and I'll, and I'll have to even check this, but like Saturday, when you have, mid-level and mediocre bowl games going against Ohio State, Kentucky, and, and teams like that, it's a blowout. It's not close. People watch football. They gamble on football more than they do basketball. So that's why, um, you know, when the bowl games, you know, morph into the college football playoff, there will be a place for them. 
Will there be as much excitement from the fan bases? Eh, probably not. At least at the second tier level, I can't see you know Iowa losing the Big Ten championship and then falling to thirteenth and then going to the Citrus Bowl as being more you know exciting as even now. But um, but so that my grievance is. <clears throat> If you don't want to watch it, if you don't care, then don't watch it. Don't care. Don't bitch about it. It's it's not hurting anybody. It's an extra bowl game, and it's football. And in two months, you're going to be saying, I can't wait till the football season. So just don't worry about it. Watch the game or don't. I don't care. Just quit bitching about it. More bowl games. Yes. Have more bowl games. Every, have everybody's more. in. Yeah. NCAA why? basketball tournament. Everybody's in. Yeah. That's I the mean, way we'll do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like. You know, okay, when we were growing up, there was like 10 or 11 and, you know, you know, the Independence Bowl, the Gator Bowl, the Sun Bowl. You know, great. They were good games. So what? You know, who cares that a 6 and 16 gets in? I don't care. As long as, as long as it, you know, it's relevant money-wise, it's not hurting me. And if I, again, if I would rather watch a, a Christmas movie or I'd rather watch uh, Rambo Part 2, I'll do that instead. <laughs> I'm going off sports for my next one. Oh, road construction in the corridor is driving uh, me nuts. Yes, and I, I'm not. I appreciate the uh, construction workers, and especially I saw some of those guys out there yesterday in my. I, I think a, the big part of it for me is American Legion Road in Iowa City to my, and Scott's been out to my house. It's there's like not a fast way to get to where I live on the east side of Iowa City and American Legion Road by the new Herbert Hoover High School has been closed for over a year. And we've been told it's going to open. It hasn't opened, but it just seems like whenever I'm driving around, I'm like, oh, shit, I can't go that way. Oh, shit, I can't go that way. And not just here, just like if I'm in North Liberty or Toroville mm-hmm. or wherever, I'm getting hit with it. I get it. I understand it, but I feel like I'm living in Illinois. <laughs> yes, the orange. I've always said that that's what Iowa and Illinois need to play for is an orange cone. Yes. Because uh, you can't go anywhere on 88, 74, or, or, you know, 80, and it's nothing but orange cones. So I agree. Living in North Liberty, we we had a year's worth of that on the main main highway, and it was just like, oh, you know, it's, we still got areas that are that way. Uh, my other one, I guess I'll go off script on this one, on this part of it. Um, People leaning back on airplanes. Um, I wish I really wish the airplane industry would just either have a natural slight slope and that's it. Um, because there's a lot of times, especially when, when I'm on an airplane, I, I like to do work. Uh, if I'm flying from home from a game and I, and I, and the worst part of it is, is you put down the, the tray and then all of a sudden, you know, and then I, then I'm like a freaking, you know, a bunny rabbit here trying to like, you or you're know, trying to get to your knapsack underneath the yeah. ch- chair in front of him. You're like, yeah, oh, I got to get underneath there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fat bastard. I'm, you know, I got too much going on here, there, but, but I'm also like, God damn it. I'm trying to work here. And I'm, I'm using all kinds of language. It shouldn't be. Honest, but, <laughs> it's all good. You're amongst <laughs> friends. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then I know people say, well, just, you just lean back. Well, I could, but I also feel for people that get that. And so I don't know that that's a, that's always been an issue for me. And I don't know, you know, started fights on airplanes I've heard before. And I felt like it, but I haven't done it. I'm sure people are battling it as we speak. I saw some yeah. estimate of how many people are going to travel for this holiday weekend and my ass will be home away. Mm-hmm. Good luck to y'all. I'm, I'm home. 
Um, and what I'll be doing is my, my last grievance is shoveling. I, I hate shoveling. I don't like cutting the grass. I don't like shoveling. I don't like yard work. I'm not a man's man, Scott. I'm not a, I'm not a home improvement guy. I'm not handy. I'm not any of those things. Uh, but I used to wonder like, why would people move from the North to like Florida or Arizona? As I get older and my back hurts more, I have more of appreciation for that than I did when I was younger. <laughs> I agree with you. I not, I, some days it doesn't bother me a bit and other days it bothers me more. You know, it's like, Oh man, I don't want to have to go out there and do that. Uh, some days, actually, if there's one respite from the computer nonsense, it's going out and doing yard work. I do do that sometimes um, just because it helps me, you know, it's, it's a physical activity rather than a mental activity. And so it, it keeps me away from, and, and that way I just listen to music or a podcast, but I'm not checking Twitter while I'm out there, Yeah, you know, which is what I need to get away from, from some time. So I, I totally get that. Um, you know, today I got to go out, but I do have a snowblower. I'll tell you what, the worst experience I ever had with that by far and away was uh, I think it was Fran's first year and national signing day coincided with Iowa, Michigan state basketball on a Wednesday. And it was a storm way worse than this one. It was like 17, 18 inches of snow. And, um, <laughs> and it was, it was so bad where I think fans got in free that day. Um, and there's still nobody that showed up because it was just such a bad storm. And again, national signing day. Well, I opened the garage door and I don't know if you've seen Saving Private Ryan yeah. you know, when, when the doors come down on Omaha Beach and the bullets come flying. <laughs> it kind of had that same feel for me, uh, you know, where you open up the garage door and it's going up and all of a sudden I just see the snow rising and, it, and it's like <laughs> at neck, at the drift is like neck level and I couldn't get my snowblower to work. It was an old one at that time. I cried, man. <laughs> After about 30 minutes of shoveling, I was like, I just can't believe this, you know, <laughs> you know, nothing, not, not more gas, nothing. So yeah, that, that was painful, um, four hours and I have a bad back too. So, um, of shoveling out so I could get to now that I think I won by like 20 that day. It's Izzo. It was crazy. And then, um, and then signing day press conference, but, it was it was painful in a lot of ways. <laughs> My back hurts thinking about it. Um, yeah. So be careful out there. Yeah. Bend your knees when you're shoveling. There's there's yeah. my uh, recommendation to you. And uh, yeah. I will yeah. get out there at some point. Right. Well, I you know there's there's some things that in some ways I I don't, I don't want to go too far in, in some of this. So I'm just going to go with one more. And it's the people who, in the wake of the Caden Proctor situation, have, have either withheld their NIL or canceled, canceled their NIL. And that could not be uh, a more counterproductive thing to do. Um, you know, it's like my money's not going to what I hoped it for. Well, if you're giving them a couple million and it's not working out, I get it. But if you're signing up for the, the collective and it's just, uh, you know, your 99 bucks didn't preserve the five star you're you're hurting yourself and the program you love a lot more than you are sending a message, you know, because what now more people are going to sign up, you know, because you quit, uh, you know, I, I think that's, 
again, very counterproductive way to now, if you want to withhold your money for the, you know, donation to the iClub, yeah. you know, that that's a little different, but, you know, and that's the way to send your message to the, to the department. You know, it's like withhold your donations, but if you're going to withhold it for the kids, that, that means that, you know, you can't go get uh, uh Farnes Amiak, uh, the center, uh, and then you can't get players. And again, you want to lose Floyd of Rosedale? Well, that's what your money goes towards, keeping it, keeping the Heartland Trophy, winning back the Cyhawk and the Heroes Trophies. And that's our grievances on this yeah. Festivus Eve. Um, we could go on and on with more grievances, but we won't. We've run yes. this puppy about two hours. So uh, thank you to everybody uh, in the chat room. It was very active today. It was a very active uh, live audience in on, on YouTube. So appreciate all you folks. Appreciate the uh, sponsors, all of our sponsors, uh, especially this holiday season. Uh, much appreciated their support of this podcast. We're able to bring you guys every week. Uh, and we bring you guys a fresh Hawkeye pod five days a week, every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, we have the flagship podcast with uh, Pat Hardy and the guys from KCJJ. That's at uh, that's on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, I do my mailbag on Tuesdays. Scott and I are here on Thursdays. Um, we may have some more um, podcasts for you during the offseason, uh, probably do some recruiting stuff, uh, maybe some basketball expert podcasts. We're working on a few things, but we got you covered Monday through Friday right now. So thanks to uh, thanks to the sponsors for helping us bring you that. Uh, I guess that's it, Scott. Have I forgotten anything? I don't think so. I think we're in good shape here, Rob. So I think we, uh, we have any Big Ten games before next Thursday. Mm, yeah, I think we have a Wisconsin game uh, against uh, um, out in the desert, and they're playing Baylor and the uh, guaranteed rate. Well, I think it's the twenty eighth. Okay, so I think I think it's. I, I, I'm pretty sure. No, it's twenty seventh. Yeah, it's twenty seventh. So it'd be Tuesday night. Nah, if we miss picking that one, I'll take I'll take who I, I don't care who wins that game. So no, they play um, Oklahoma State. I'm sorry. Yeah, Baylor plays today. I think. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, yeah, I can't they play, play. Yeah, they, yeah, they play Air Force tonight, and and I used to know all this stuff, and then I forgot it. But with signing, check day, your I, local listings <laughs> for the yeah. game of time in your area. Yeah, so yeah, they do play Tuesday night against Oklahoma State in the desert, and I'll just say uh, I don't know what what it is. I'll take Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah, I will too. I'll go with the Big Ten team. And Scott and I will hit on some some picks next Thursday. We'll preview the Music City Bowl with Iowa and Kentucky, and we'll have plenty more to talk about uh, across the Hawkeye sport landscape here on the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next week at some point. I'll uh, I'll let I'll let you know when we fit it in. It may not be the nine a.m. Central Time Thursday start, but we'll fit it in at some point next week. Uh, Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.